Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Run4PR's Coaching. Run4PR's Coaching helps runners of all abilities discover their inner strength and potential. They understand how difficult it can be to juggle training, family, career, and other pursuits, and are excited to help support you in your athletic journey while pushing you to new heights. All of their coaches work with athletes from all over the world on an online coaching platform that allows them to schedule and review your runs, communicate feedback, and hold you accountable. All their coaches are Boston qualifiers with years of coaching experience, and you can learn more at run4prs.co. That's run for the number four prs.co you can also find them on instagram at run for prs and when you do if you go online you fill out their form to say you heard about them from the rambling runner podcast now today's guest is actually someone who i've gotten to know pretty well over the course of the past summer uh, his name is thomas paquette thomas is shoot man this guy is super duper fast you're gonna hear about it in this episode he really really is fast but with that said he is just scratching the surface like i feel like three years from now maybe even sooner i'll look back on this episode and say like man i talked to thomas paquette when he was a 236 marathoner and now he's down to like 216 like this guy has that kind of potential but it's so interesting because it wasn't exactly evident and his performances early on in his career, even in college, he, he ran at a local D3 college here in New England that has very, very good sports. However, it is D3, and he wasn't even the best runner on his team, and yet here he is. He finished top 20 at the USA TF 20K in New Haven this summer, and he is just kicking butt, and he has gone every every marathon he's run the past three years. He's gotten a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better, and in doing so, he has done it in crazy weather conditions. So we talk a lot about that, talk a lot about mindset, and we talk about his potential of going to the 2020 Olympics because of his Paraguayan descent. I also want to give a shout out to some of the people who are supporting Thomas. So Thomas has just a strong community up in the Keene, New Hampshire area. A lot of people support him. He's got the Next Level Running Company that he that he uh, you know that he does. He has Ted Sports. He has SOS Rehydrate, Goo Energy Labs, and Salty Bean Coffee Company. All of them are are supporting him, and it's just nice to get these runners who are are very very talented. But they're not quite the level to be sponsored by a shoe company or something like that. So to have these people sponsoring him, it really is great because you know that runners of this ability, you know, it, just, it doesn't happen, you know, with a snap of a finger. It takes years and years and years of effort. So to have people who can support him and his efforts is really cool. So let's get into it. My episode with Thomas Paquette. Hello, Thomas, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Me too. That makes two of us. I'll tell you what, you just killed it at the Chicago Marathon, man. I'm so happy for you. You ran a 235.25, which was a seven-minute PR. And we'll dive into what those PRs have been because you've had a very – very interesting <laughs> marathoning journey, uh, to say the least. Uh, but I guess, first of all, congratulations, my man. Hey, thank you so much. It was uh, quite the experience and uh, definitely a, a day where I was pleased with all the hard work and the, the, the constant, um, you know, go at the marathon. It's, it's been a, a true journey and it's been fun. Right. So you've run six marathons in what, the last two and a half years or so? Yeah, kind of a lot, I would say, but uh, maybe a little unorthodox, but hey, it's it's what I love to do, so uh, I, I I just love doing it. Yeah, no, for sure, and that's to say nothing of um, your Killington Expedition, where we actually had a chance to meet up for a little bit at the Killington Mountain Race this summer. You, <laughs> I was like, I was dying laughing after talking to you. So first of all, you did the 25K, right, or do you do the 50K? I did the 25k. Hell no, right. I didn't. I did not want to endeavor in that 50k. That looked brutal. 
Well, you almost did by accident because you did the 25K. This was your second trail race ever, even though you're living in New Hampshire. So your second trail race ever. And I loved how you end up getting a top 10 finish, which was great. But tell the people what actually happened on this course because oh. I was dying laughing when you were telling me. Oh, geez. So, yeah, this was my second go at a trail race, which I love trails. New Hampshire's, uh, you know, has plenty of them especially here in the key new hampshire area uh but i wound up going off course uh about a total of three miles and we went a mile and a half down a mountain and then had to come a mile and a half back up to get back up on course and at that time me and two other guys were in the lead so that kind of threw a little wrench in in the race plan and I knew right after that that I would probably be out there a lot longer than expected and I was I was definitely going to that race for time wise not necessarily mileage and uh wound up coming in 10th but I certainly think I could have won the race but whatever it was uh it was a fun time and uh definitely was able to test the limits of of uh of my legs on that day that's for sure. And it sounds, it sounds mean. Cause I'm like, all right, I was dying laughing. It's like, <laughs> I'm, the reason okay. I was laughing, the yeah. way you, because it was just how we were talking about it after the race, you were so like nonchalant about it. I was like, Oh my God, this yeah. would have driven me up a wall. Oh, and geez. you were just like, Oh yeah. You know, I just kind of happened, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. I was like, how like low key about it you were. I was shocked because, um, like you said, like, first of all, like you're already running like a really hard race. And you go off course. And when you go off course like that, first of all, how do you know when you're off course? And what's it like trying to get back? Like, is it obviously it's not just like flat out running because you must be like looking for trail markers the whole time. Yeah. Well, we had to follow blue markers. And after a while, the two other guys we were with, we both came to the conclusion that we hadn't seen blue markers in a long time. And that's when we started, you know, kind of putting our brains together and came up with the conclusion that we went the wrong way. And I did notice at at the trailhead when we popped out of the uh, um, intersection that there were no markers. Uh, and as we came back to the intersection, um, back on course, we noticed that the trail markers were almost tucked away and followed the the, the turn almost on the inside so if you're going at a certain pace and coming out of that trailhead all of a sudden those trail markers are in your blind spot so we didn't even see any markers whatsoever and there were no markers in front of us um, but kind of going back to what you said that I was calm and collect about it I think the old me the five years ago me would have been extremely frustrated about the experience and the time and that I, I could have won, but I didn't. And in the end, that, that run on that particular day was just another, another run in the bank for, for my ultimate goal, which was uh, on Sunday. So uh, getting back to being on, on course, I think it was just kind of changing my, my way of thinking, thinking, all right, time to get back. Uh, on the grind and catching up to where I could be but you really can't have negative thoughts especially in a trail race for that long creep into your head because that would just make the run even more miserable so I think being being able to have a positive mindset and just enjoying it even though things haven't gone your way is is really key so how were you reacting in similar situations five years ago uh, situations five years ago, I probably would have, uh, blamed somebody else. Uh, my morale during that situation probably would have gone down the tubes and I would have probably given up, um, not necessarily drop out of the race, uh, though I have done that many times in the past during college, but just flat out giving up on, on the effort and thinking that it was a wasted day. So, um, that was... That was how I was when I was younger. And was that going, was that like going all the way back? Like when you were like a little kid, were you just like 
that because this sounds very similar to I don't know, myself, frankly, like I can, I see, I see my, a lot of myself in this story. You know, I'm like, I'm the worst sore loser. I was, I, I forever have <laughs> been. I was like the, you know, the six year old who would like throw like, <laughs> what do they call it? Candyland. I would like throw oh, the board yeah. if I didn't win. Um, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to say that. I'm not sure I've matured a lot <laughs> since then from a losing perspective. Um, so is this, is this always been part of your personality? Um, you know, I think it's been a work in progress. Certainly when I was little, I, you know, no one likes to lose. I was pretty competitive. I played baseball for a long time. Um, but I think being competitive is something that you're either born with or not. And I think in college, when I ran collegiately, it was really hard for me to be competitive, uh, whether it be trying to beat somebody or hurting someone's feelings because I beat them or trying to push myself to the pain train and um, being able to work through that. It was, it's really tough. And just like running, I feel like being able to mentally put yourself uh, in that competitive mindset is a learned process. Um, So heading into Killington, uh, being being aware of what's happening was was definitely uh, a, a key aspect to my I would say still a successful day. Right, and so where did you run in college? I ran at Keene State in Keene, New Hampshire. So, so, uh, so you've just been there the whole time. Yeah, I, I I'm that typical kid who stayed and made a living doing it. So, and where uh, did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut, in Bolton, Connecticut. Uh, it's okay. a really small town. People don't know where it is, but I always say it's right outside of Hartford, right in between Hartford and Yukon, so stores Connecticut. I've driven through Bolton so many times, Thomas, through my jobs. Oh, my gosh. Well, I lived outside of Providence, so I yep. drive up through Hartford for, for work all the time. So I'm actually one of the random people who do know where Bolton is. I've actually, oh, that's, that's I've actually, awesome. I've actually popped a tire in Bolton and had to stop oh, at no. an auto body shop. So yeah, I spent, <laughs> I spent more time there than I planned on, uh, planned on oh, being there. Funny. So going back to your college running days. So when you were at Keene state, you mentioned before that it was harder for you to be competitive in a sense. Can you flesh that out more? Like, what do you mean by that? Was it in terms of like, was it hard for you to be competitive with other people or was it, you just had a hard time striving to be the best runner you could be? What was the, what did you mean by that? I think a little bit of both, Matt. Um, for me in college, it was looking back at it, obviously everything is 2020 uh, in hindsight, but I had a very tough time comparing myself to other runners on the team, uh, past or present. Uh, Keene State was a very dominant program for numbers of years uh, leading up to when I came to Keene State. Uh, We had this tradition of winning all the time, winning conferences, making uh, a very good showing at New England regionals and making it to nationals. And all of a sudden, within those years of me entering into this this culture and this this, uh, idea of winning all the time, I had a tough time because I wasn't that person. I wasn't the one making it to nationals. I wasn't the one winning every race. Um, I wasn't the one running the times that these other runners who have gone through the same program um, have run. So I think that led to a lot of complacency in my running when it came to wanting to beat somebody because I would mentally give up if I didn't hit a certain split or a certain time on a specific workout that these same guys have done 10 years ago. So that whole comparing aspect was a detriment to my, to my running. But I would also say now, five years later, I have learned from that and have been able to grow out of it or use what I have gone through to better myself as a runner today. That's, that, 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 uh, that's so interesting when I think about it. So you know, Keene State is very good in a lot of athletic programs. So it's, it's a it's a New Hampshire State School, it's a Division three school, which is actually a very good conference, the Little East. And yep. 
Um, I'm a I'm a big Division three sports fan, so I know I know that stuff. But oh, that's great. It's also it's so interesting you talk about it like that because it reminds me of um, shoot, what's that movie with a Will Ferrell where he's uh he's like a race car driver and like he always says like if you're not first, you're last. Like, yep. <laughs> that's, like um, that's what it reminds what is me. It? Uh, Ricky Bobby. Or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights. That's it. Yes. So that's what it reminds me of, and I totally get that. And it's also like. Like you said it's just all mindset because it's all just a comparison game, right? Because I'm well, you may not have been up to the level that you wanted to be or thought that you should be. You were obviously better than other runners, so it's like you weren't like comparing yourself to people who you're beating and say like, "Hey, like, look, I'm doing a pretty good job." You're like comparing yourself to an ideal. So, yes. yep. So, what got you out of that mode? Because you you talk about it in the past tense, like that's how you used to be. So, what was the process like? for you shedding that mindset that wasn't helping you and adopting one that was much more useful? Um, for me, I would say trial and error and just constantly working at my own running in, in, in different ways and also hopping into marathoning. Um, marathoning to me started in 2016. So three years after I graduated, but just like my training um, before the marathon and into marathoning, I struggled for, in my eyes, for, for two years or three years almost. Um, I think for me, it was first off graduating. So I'm no longer part of a team aspect. There's no team aspect in my running, but also finding what works and what didn't work. Um, whether it be what events that I like to do on the road or on the track or um, switching up runs or switching up ways of my training. Um, And I feel like now I graduated in 2013. So five years later, I've almost found a new way of approaching my training. And that's with the help of a lot of people. Uh, I have my own coach, but also a lot of friends and mentors who have um, their own insights on how they've, they've become as runners. And it's obviously worked because you went from a D3 runner who felt like they were reaching their potential to now this year, finishing top 50 in the USATF 20 K championships in new Haven and, you know, it's not, you didn't even really taper for that race a whole lot. Like, that was a 97-mile week for you. Yeah. You know, obviously, you've had, yeah. you had bigger goals. I mean, not, not to say that, you know, who knows? Maybe everyone else did the exact same thing, for all I know. Um, but, <laughs> but that obviously was a huge accomplishment um, for you on that day. So you mentioned that you found a training, kind of a training path that worked for you. What were some of the key, the, kind of the key elements to that um, that you feel like definitely worked – worked best for you in particular that you weren't necessarily doing, you know, five years ago? Um, I think recovering. I I know that's been a a huge topic for, for everybody, but I'll say it again, being able to recover um, while I'm training at, um, at a high intensity or a bulk volume. I was not recovering in college whatsoever. It almost seemed like every workout we did, we worked out twice a week and then raced on the weekend. I was not getting any better because I was probably making poor choices, going out late at night, not eating properly, um, not sleeping adequately, um, and just hammering my body to the point where it was not... um, reaping the benefits of the the mileage that I was putting in. Um, and also when you end those group runs, it's what's great for the workouts, right? Cause mm-hmm. you can test yourself, right? So like yep. the group workout yep. is so beneficial like yep. for, for the same reason that if you get a bunch of people in a race who run the same speed, it can like mm-hmm. elevate your performance, right? You're feeding oh, off each other yep. and all that, but it almost has like the polar opposite effect on an easy day. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And I think getting out of college when I'll say it Strava, Strava did not help my training when I when I joined. I loved seeing numbers. I loved seeing data. So if someone is seeing that I'm running a six minute 
easy run. And my coach has said this to me, no one runs six minute easy run, right? So six minutes feels easy, but doing that day after day after day, and then trying to pile on a workout in a long run, you're not recovering unless you probably if you're, you're an elite athlete, you know, but even so, they don't, but even they don't like exactly. run a whole easy run at six minute pace. Oh, exactly. I, I have a pretty cool story to tell you where um, I was able to train or do a workout with some of the best in the world uh, when I went out to Colorado Springs. Um, James McCurdy uh, hooked me up with training with the Army WCAP group. So I, I was able to do a, a workout with uh, Shadrach and a couple of the, the other guys. And the number one thing that I took away from from being able to warm up and watch them work out and hop in a few intervals with them is that their warm up and cool down was literally like the, the typical quote unquote Kenyan shuffle. We were running 10 minute pace for these warm ups and cool downs. And they were laughing and talking about how um, you work hard, you train hard, because, so winning is easy. And that was the coolest thing I've ever heard from these Olympians that I was able to be in the presence of. And I really took that to heart that, all right, if these guys who are running 28 minute 10 Ks and um, super fast, they're still running slow. So if they can run slow, I can run slow. And I took that as a, a good mentality to my training. Right. Cause it's so different to hear people say it or to read about it. Right. Like, so like, like, so you're a coach, right? Like you, you yep. coach people, you have your own coaching company, next level running. And what you you gave me a hat, which I love by the way. Oh, um, thanks awesome. for that. And you know, it's one thing to hear from a coach, like, Hey, you got to slow down, but mm -hmm. it's different when you're like, well, this feels fine. Right. Yeah. You're like, like you just talked about before, like a six minute mile per pace run for you, like in a silo, right? Like you're in a vacuum felt fine. It didn't feel yeah. hard, but it's different when like you actually like see another person who's significantly faster than you running your, their easy pace is slower than you. It like, it must've been like such a shock because like here you are like running like literally like three to four minutes per like three to four minutes uh, faster per mile than what they were doing. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and even Kipchoge, if you, if you do the math, he's running really, really slow in his easy days. And he's the world's fastest marathoner. So it it's really cool to see that these elite athletes are practicing what they preach. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And you've had um, – I love the conversion that you've had over the marathon. So I'm, I'm just going to say out that – I'm going to read the times because it sounds like this linear path as a runner, but like the details are so much different. I love the context with this. Okay. So going back to 2016, you ran, you had three hours on the dot and then you ran Boston 2017, which was, that was the really hot day, right? Yeah, that was awful. So you ran 307 and mm -hmm. then next marathon down to 251, next marathon, 247, next marathon, 242, and then Chicago, 235. So you look at that and you say, wow. This guy's like just getting a little bit better every time. That's like totally expected. Sounds so linear. And it's like almost the exact opposite. There's like so much context with all of these races. Even the first one is like this crazy story. Yeah. Um, I can tell you a little bit about that. So Clarence DeMar uh, is a local marathon here in Keene, New Hampshire. It's beautiful. Um, net downhill, almost like Boston. It mimics Boston very, very uh, well. And so go back two years, this is me with that mentality of, uh, or going, having that training that I was hammering. So, and I had no clue what I was doing. I'll, I'll be honest. I did not fuel. Uh, I did not take any nutrition until mile 10. And I had this crazy goal of, I wanted to run a 230 marathon. That was my goal. So I looked at my watch and every mile, 540, 540, 540. At 18 miles, I hit a wall. And that's not a good thing if you hit a wall at 18 miles because you still have eight miles to go. 
and I just got slower and slower and slower. And then by 24, I cramped up to the point where I couldn't move. Uh, I and had, you were in first. You were leading I, the race. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was leading the race. I had a good 20-minute lead on everybody. And um, I got to the point where it felt like someone had stuck electrodes on my hamstrings and on my butt and turned them up on high. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And I couldn't move. And the trainer came up to me and my friend George, who was on his bike, said, don't you touch him. He needs to learn. And I walked for two miles. Oh, my gosh. It took me about half an hour to walk two miles. So I was still on pace to run, you know, probably 240 by then. But I walked. And... I am so glad I finished because by me finishing that, I had no clue that my body and my brain was able to put it, my body through that. And I grew very, a lot stronger from, from that experience. And crazy enough, I crossed the line and I, I literally said to my mom and dad, someone drive me to the start line. I want to redo that. Oh my yeah. god. Was a that little, just little, was that just anger at that yeah, point? Yeah, a little Oh yeah, it was anger, frustration. That was probably the first time I cried in 10 years. I cried in my parents' arms. It was it was just a big emotional um emotional endeavor that I haven't put myself through ever. Um so that was really tough, but also um I learned a lot, like I said. And you had said in an article that you wrote detailing, you know, basically how, you know, that failures are the stepping stone to success, that that day was the most pivotal day of your running career. So why, why would, why did you say that? Um, kind, kind of like what I just said, I had never experienced anything like that before. It was my first time attempting 26.2 miles. It would have been my longest run in my entire running career. Um, It was a pivotal moment because I didn't give up. It sounds so cliche, but I didn't step off the course and walk back home because I was literally closer to my house than I was to the finish line on that course. And just being able to persevere through the pain, being able to push through that barrier, I had no clue I was able to do that. And after that race, every workout, Every time I didn't want to lace up my shoes, every time I had another race, I told myself nothing is as painful as what I went through in, at the Clarence Tamar in 2016. And it was just a good, a good benchmark, actually, for me to be able to kind of compare in a good way. How do you think people can have a similar experience where they test themselves so far beyond what they've done in the past without putting themselves, you know, in the kind of position that you were in, right? Like you, you put yourself in a very tough spot where like you didn't necessarily, um, I don't know. I try to phrase the right way where you didn't necessarily, it was, didn't necessarily like put yourself in the most advantageous position. Like you were right. reckless, you were reckless. <laughs> Almost, yeah. And then you were, and then you were able to like gain a long-term benefit from it. So you're a coach now and you talk to a lot of runners. How can people kind of do it without being as maybe as reckless as you were almost like stage? Like, okay, I need to test myself in a way that I've never been tested so that I can push the limits of what I know is possible. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, Obviously the easiest thing is to go and tell someone, go do it yourself. You know, go out and just annihilate yourself to the point where you are exhausted. But obviously that's not realistic. I think as a coach, being able to tell my athletes that it's going to be okay. It's okay to want to beat somebody. It's okay to put yourself in pain because pain is temporary. It's going to go away. And being able to push your limits, both physically and mentally is a huge, huge uh, breakthrough in your running. And kind of what I said before is it's a learned pattern just like you're running, just like trying to learn how to read, trying to learn how to write. 
running is very much a a neuromuscular teaching your body um, different endurances, brain or, or muscle. And I think each time you can teach somebody pushing the envelope, pushing the, the limit a little bit more each time, whether it be in a race or in a workout, obviously not all the time, but putting them into a, a position where they're outside of their comfort zone will teach them that it, anything is possible. Um, that's how I would say that, yeah. Right, and then you must have some people that you know or even like maybe the younger version of yourself who maybe just wasn't willing to push themselves further, right? Like you have like that situation where like giving your total effort, but maybe in retrospect, or if you're a coach working with someone kind of like in person, you know that they're not really putting themselves to the wall. How can you get that point across to somebody um, in a way that they believe it? Because oftentimes you feel like this is all I can do. This is all I can do. Yep. Giving my full effort, and it's not self-deception, right? Like you really and truly believe it, but then there's there's higher levels you can get to, but you almost don't. It's hard to it's hard to picture it in the moment. Exactly. Well, I, I use one of my athletes as an example. I have an athlete who I started uh, coaching back in December, and her easy run pace was about. 930 minute mile which is awesome let me just say that in march she ran a 20 miler race at 840 pace so by me being able to tell her that you know you could go a little faster you know you could be a little faster than that or you can you could have done that workout a tad bit bit better you know being able to tell people and positively reinforcing them that they could do better each time, I think will slowly build confidence in them because I was not confident in college. I was not confident enough to put myself in that position to put myself in pain, to beat that person or to um, get a PR or, or et cetera, et cetera. I think, again, pushing that envelope and being able to tell athletes and and every athlete is different. You got to approach it, how they will respond positively. Um, but being able to tell them that they are better than, um, than they can be, or they, you have no idea how fast you could be just telling them, allowing them to be able to believe that I think is a big thing. Um, the mind and the brain is a very, very powerful muscle. And I think it's one of the most important muscles for, for running and to work that and train your brain to tell you that you are better than what you think you are is, is no doubt the key to success. Well, you got to live it this year because at the Boston Marathon 2018, everyone knows about the weather conditions, right? It was horrific. It was really, really bad. The year before, you ran a 307 in the heat. And obviously this year it was cold and rainy. Um, last, the kind of like a few months before that, you ran Philly in 40 mile per hour winds. You ran 247, which is a new PR for you. You go into mm-hmm. Boston, the weather's awful. And then you go out and you run a five minute PR and you run a 242. And that is just absolutely incredible. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. What? what when you go into that race, first of all, what were you thinking that if the weather had been perfect, what kind of form do you think you would have been in? Uh, you mean time-wise? Yeah. Um, I think a 236, 235 for sure. Um, within that effort range, 236, 235. But that's how I kind of still approached it. Whether permitting or not is I approach that marathon just solely on effort um running into a headwind and a monsoon coming down on you certainly puts a little dent in your plans but it didn't deter me away from having a good time um but i knew i was fit and you have no control over the weather so i was not getting stressed out about that now were you aware of how well you were doing compared to other people because you 
you know, you didn't have a, a huge drop off from your overall time to your projected time, right? A lot of people had a much bigger drop off, especially with some of the, you know, some of the elite athletes and sub elite athletes. Um, there's a lot of theories as to why that is, but you're, you really exceeded, I think what other people were able to do in those conditions. What would you say were some of the reasons for that? Um, I think training in that weather, to be honest, being in New Hampshire and being in New England weather helped tremendously. I am rarely the person to go on the treadmill when it's really crappy out. I love just lacing up the shoes and getting out no matter the, the weather conditions. So that helped tremendously. Um, I, I don't mind running in the cold. Uh, so that, that helped a lot too. So another thing I think that helped was in a weird sense, that weather took a lot of pressure off of, off of my shoulders being able to gun for a time is really stressful. It takes a lot of mental, uh, takes a lot of mental stress on, or puts a lot of mental stress on you. So seeing the weather forecast the night before and hearing my cousin's windows spattering and blowing in the wind and hearing the rain on the roof, to me, I almost said, you know, screw the time and I'm just going out for another long run. So that, that helped tremendously as well, staying relaxed and just going for a run and not really necessarily working, worrying about my splits or my time. And as soon as I started seeing people coming back towards me, going up the Newton Hills and dropping down um, towards Boston, I was, I was eating up a lot of people, which was a lot of fun. And I think those people kind of, I, I can't speak for them, but I, w- I would assume that a lot of them were still trying to gun for a time, which was really hard in that those conditions. Right, because you have two schools of thought, right? This is just, this is all mindset, is that yep. you have the people who look at that weather and they go, oh man, this is going to stink. And you have the other yep. people who look at that weather and say, this is great. Like, I am so prepared for conditions like this. Like, obviously, I'm oh, not yeah. going to run a PR today. I'm not mm-hmm. saying, like, I'm going to set the world on fire. But comparatively speaking, this is going to help me compared to other people. And it's one of those things you see it all the time in so many outdoor sports or even indoor sports, right? Like, people go on the road in basketball and they're going to yep. a hostile environment. You see the same sort of thing. You see this all the time in time trials in the tour de France where if it's yep. slick, you know, slick roads, you have some people who pay, get panicked and other people who, you know, thrive on the conditions. Did you have any sense of that as someone who trained in it? Or was this something that you kind of, that you've reflected on? Um, I think I, I mean, going into it, um, I think I thrived off of that. Um, and kind of going into that unknown um, experience was was all the fun, and being able to share that with a bunch of people was was even cooler. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, I, I've seen the pictures. It didn't look fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen pictures of you during that race. And, you know, I think I think in the moment everyone's like, you know, fun is almost a relative term yeah. in that case, right? Like you're like, I would much rather not be doing this today. But yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying, and you're right, it is all mindset. Yeah. So. No, I, I will be honest, uh, waking up that morning uh, was really hard to tell myself I have to go run a, a 26.2 miles in this. I woke up and my cousin said there was snow at the start. That was not, that was not something I wanted to hear at 530 in the morning. <laughs> but. Now, did you have a similar experience from this race as you did from your first marathon in the sense that after that experience, do you now look at conditions as like, this is nothing. I ran Boston exactly. 2018. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. I put myself through a lot of pain in my first marathon and even my second marathon, the second Boston, kind of the same thing happened. Uh, I, I was able to kind of rehash those memories and the, those experiences and say, screw it. I got this. If, I've been through through worse, so bring it. 
Right. So now next year, when it's, I don't know, a hurricane during Boston, <laughs> what, else, what else can happen? Uh, you can just say, yeah, hey, we, we need you know, I've done this before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There is uh, a lot of, I have a buddy of mine who tells me I'm the king of bad conditions. Uh, so running running Chicago this year, I was granted a, a somewhat decent weather day. So it, it was kind of funny because you brought up the 20K. That was miserable, 80 degrees and, and humid. But that was uh, a nasty nine, day. Yeah. A lot of people just were really affected on that one. Yeah. So, but being able to change your mindset when things aren't going to plan or in your vision um, or your visualization of how things should go on in a perfect day. You got to be able to prepare for those variables and, and not stress out about them. And going back to the college me, I would, I would hate it when, when a workout day was rainy or race, race day was, was not going well. But being able to train my mind to, to tell me or to teach me that it's okay to, to run in conditions that you haven't planned for and adjusting to that. That's a good point because there's a big difference between setting a PR and having the best performance you could possibly have. Right. Right. Because you can go both directions, right? You can have a situation where, say, the weather's awful and you can be super proud of your effort and say, like, hey, man, I couldn't have done better. That I killed it today. I don't care what the time is. That was the best I could have run. Also, shoot, sometimes you can go out there and have a race where like the weather's perfect and you set a PR by a minute and you say after the fact you could have been like, you know what? I I left something out on that course. I didn't I didn't reach that last two percent. I didn't fight over that last hurdle. I should have had a, a three minute PR today. Like <laughs> yep. you yep. you know what I mean? Like we we've yep. had those days as well where like you know, you, you're, you're about to have a great time and you rationalize not digging in on that last little bit. And then after the fact, you just kind of regret it a little bit. Yep. I agree. So, so Chicago, you just brought it up. I can't wait to talk about this because not only did you set a seven minute PR, you finally got, you know, that you first wanted to get to two thirty, your first marathon. And here yeah. you are two thirty five. you get there. It's awesome. And you had such an, a, a crazy experience. It's not only here you are, running really well on a beautifully, you know, just a beautiful weather day, um, comparatively speaking to some of the other days <laughs> yeah, you've had. Yeah. <laughs> um, Finally, but you had this day. Yeah, decent day. But you also got to run with, like, the best women runners in America. You have all these pictures of your next, like, Gwen Jorgensen and some of these other people. I want to focus on you, obviously. But I, I have to ask, what was that like running with some of the women's leaders through portions of this race? Oh, it was, it was pretty cool to be honest. Because every every one of these athletes are have a good social media presence, so it feels like you know them personally, which is really cool. Uh, but I saw the the elite women for for a good portion of the first half. Uh, they were a good, I'd say, forty seconds up on me, which is quite a bit in a marathon. Uh, but I passed Alexi Papas uh, around eighteen, I believe. And uh, a good friend of mine that I train with in Keene is a, a teammate of hers. So I was able to say hi and just cheer her on. But catching up to Gwen was pretty cool. Uh, even though she was struggling, I was able to uh, come up next to her and, and kind of give her a little um, morale boost. And she actually latched on for me for a little bit, which was pretty cool. And I was able to slap her a high five as she crossed the line. I know she had a disappointing day, but that was her first one. So I've, I've been there and done that but uh it was really cool to to experience that and that wasn't the only race i've i've been able to help elite women um in in their races it's, it's still really cool to be a part of the running community and still help out these professional athletes it's like going to fenway and having a catch with with uh david ortiz it's pretty cool it's a great point because you really can't do it in any other sport. No, not at all. Absolutely not. No, that's awesome. So, so your uh, training leading into Chicago, how confident were you, say, you know, six weeks ago that this was going to be a race that you would really kind of put yourself in a position to not only set a PR, but really try to kind of get to that next level and close to kind of maxing out what you think your potential might be? 
Um, I was extremely confident. Um, this was my, I would say, second full marathon cycle uh, of, of proper training that my coach, Jeff Goopel, introduced to me. Uh, more focus on recovery and maximizing the longer efforts as a workout instead of doing the typical two-college workout a week and then a, a long-run workout on the weekend. Uh, he was able to tell me and, and produce a plan that worked really, really well for me. And starting eight weeks prior, just building the mileage and being able to handle bulk mileage when I couldn't even handle that five years ago uh, was really, really cool to, to experience finishing up a 97 mile week racing at new in new Haven and feeling fine the next day was really remarkable to me. And that was a huge confidence boost. Uh, and that's, that's thankful to, to proper training that he was able to instill on me. So instead of two workouts in the long run, you just kind of start incorporating workout type efforts into your long run. Yeah. So, um, when I started working with Jeff was before Philly. So Philly, he just kind of started telling me, you need to start running slower. You need to, uh, recover and, um, and focus on longer tempos. And so, this was the first time in a while where the Sunday long run, not every Sunday long run or long run, it could be on any day for anybody. Um, some of these runs were workouts, uh, maybe half of them. Let's say a 20 mile run. You have, I have 10 to 12 miles worth of, of paced effort or fartlicks um, and constantly teaching my body how to run at a certain effort for a longer period of time uh, really, really helped me for Chicago. So in the past, were you doing shorter stuff like mile repeats or like two times three miles? Is that what you were doing uh, prior to that? Yeah, I was doing a lot of college-based stuff. So mile repeats at five-minute pace and um, going out and trying to hammer 10 miles at, you know, in 55 minutes. Something I can do, but that does not benefit me for my marathon goal. And I learned that the hard way. But I, I learned from yeah. it positively, too. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's obviously a much different race. So for college, you run 8K, which is basically five miles, yep. um, which is such a different beast oh, than the yeah. marathon. Obviously, I mean, in a sense, right? I mean, if you're, if you're in PR marathon shape, you probably can go out and run a PR at five miles. But if you're running a PR at five miles, it doesn't guarantee you're going to run a PR on the marathon. Exactly. Exactly. I think that was uh, a really uh, – really I big eye opener going from collegiate running and a little bit of post-collegiate um, and then entering into true marathon training is a, I learned that marathon training for me a lot of it is easy miles a lot of it is recovering and making sure that you can maximize your hard days I there's a really good quote that I, I think I post on one of my Instagram posts that you do not get faster from running hard. You get faster by recovering hard. So the more you recover, that's where you get fast. You recover when you're resting and then you can maximize the one or two hard days a week, but then you got to recover. So I really was able to do that leading into Chicago, going out really, really super easy and enjoying these super easy runs yeah they definitely are more enjoyable i'll tell you one thing that i struggle with is that i have a defined period of time in the morning that i can run so it's usually like in like 60 to 70 minutes 70 minutes max um for my morning run so it's almost like i'm very aware of like need to keep it easy on the easy days i've said that if you listen to this podcast this might be episode like 107 108 109 when it comes out I might have said it on every single one of these episodes. <laughs> but yeah. However, yeah. I'm also aware that like, hey, if I go a little faster, maybe I can run eight <laughs> miles this morning instead of seven. Yep. Right? So like that's the dichotomy or the paradox that I get stuck in every once in a while. And I say that as someone who just recently started messing this up again, where like, you know, I'm running 
822 pace instead of like nine minute pace. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, Oh, but you know, it's like, I just covered like, I'm feeling good. I'll just go with it and then I'll get an extra mile in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then here I am coming off two bad workouts and it's like, <laughs> Oh God damn it. Like, yep. I, I, like, I don't know for sure the reason why those workouts didn't go as expected, but I'm starting to get a feeling that, it might've been the easy run is not being as easy as it should have been. And it just compounding over a few weeks. Exactly. And there are many factors, but yeah, that not recovering a lot as much as you want, should be. It plays a huge role in, in your performance and workouts and, and races. All right. So I have a question for you because this is something I've been thinking about for a while and you're right there. And mm-hmm. I think that this could be, you're like the perfect person to answer this. So just looking at where you are as a runner, right? So in, in the male field, obviously, like, you enter, say, not one of the big, the big, like, Abbott marathons, but you just, if you went to, like, say, the Providence Marathon or just, like, in any, an everyday marathon, like, you would have a chance to win, right? So it's like, you're a very, very good runner. However, there's a big gap between you and, say, the people who would win Chicago. Correct. Oh. Right? So what, so, so what do you think is a harder gap to close? Like the three hour marathoner to two thirty five, which you are now, or the next 25 minutes, the two thirty five marathoner. To... Oh boy. I think that's an extremely good question. Um, and I might be going out on a limb on this, but to me, Chicago is me just getting started. Uh, I've been telling people, that Chicago was my first sixth marathon where I think I was able to show myself that I am capable. I'm finally there where I want to be, where I'm capable of. And that if I continue to have these marathon cycles that go well, I think I could really shave off some good time. I was talking to Jeff uh, on my way back from Connecticut that, he thinks that I could get down into the low two twenties uh, next year if everything goes well and I continue to be consistent and um, follow a training plan that has worked well. So I will go and say that I think closing this gap between two thirty five and two twenty, which is kind of where my goal is, and who knows after that, I think that will be. Um, it's going to be hard. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be very hard with a lot of hard work and dedication, but I'm willing to put in that work. I think I could, I could do that with some, a little bit of ease. And I say that in quotations because it's not going to be easy, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah. Consistency. Exactly. Yep. And, right. um, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm super excited to figure out how, how much I could push my body and see what I could get on my body for as long as I can until I get old and, and can't run anymore. <laughs> I don't want to say, well, you're still super young. So yeah. I think you got it. Me- <laughs> yeah. Me- Meb's coming out of retirement that's, age 43, Thomas. You got plenty true. of time. Oh, good. Good, good. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I have a friend who I was talking to, um, and I told him that I was going to have you on the show. And he goes, oh, that dude, that dude's going to run 220 in the marathon. Just you wait. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, your coach is not the only one who believes it. That's for sure. Because I wasn't talking to your coach at the time. Um no, that's great, man. Well, I'm I'm really excited for you. I could just hear it in your voice when you brought it up. Like you were just like obviously so excited to get there, which yeah. is really fun. So so what is your um what's your plan for the next year from a from a race standpoint? Do you have them already picked out? Yeah. Um loose a loose uh roadmap, I think. I am signed up for Boston and I definitely want to do Boston again, but it's one of those races, of course, that you never know what type of weather you're going to get. But I can't pass up on that. But I do know that there are other races that, to your point, I could probably put myself in a position to win and run fast on a flatter course because Boston is not a fast course, I don't think. It's it's hard, even though it's downhill. 
Um, so that will be my spring marathon and then hopefully CIM next December. Uh, that's notoriously fast, um, good weather in Sacramento. So that's the goal and see where I could, can, uh, trend for the next year. Now, knowing what your goals are, what big trials qualifying time that's needed and what is their, what's the deadline for that? Uh, you know what? I haven't even looked. Uh, I think the the Olympic trial trial qualifying is in two nineteen. Uh, two nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Though. So that's I, the A standard. That's the B standard. That's um, the B standard. Okay. Yeah. So they won't pay your way, uh, which is totally fine with me. Um, <laughs> but I I think just chipping away, um, one at a time is is the way to go, um, with obviously that that goal in mind. But I just got to see how how I do. Um, I have, and I, I guess I'll go out in public and say this: that um, I may have a slight chance of qualifying for the Olympics and training for a different or running for a different country. Uh, I have yes, yeah. I am I am from the country of Paraguay, which is in South America, and I do not know the logistics of it. And it would be cool if anybody does know but i my birth certificate is in spanish and i was born in asuncion paraguay so i believe i would be able to have proof that i could get dual citizenship and i do know the world standard i think is 219 so i know there's one really fast guy from paraguay he's a 213 marathoner but i don't think anyone else is after that so it would be cool to entertain that idea to run on the world stage in for that for paraguay but one race at a time but i could still dream big right no we and what a dream that would be so you're an american citizen but you think that that you'd have the potential because of where you were born to run for paraguay i mean shoot man i remember when when athens hosted the olympics they created a baseball team and it was like if you ate at a greek diner you like qualified to (laughs) be on the greek baseball team it was like the craziest group of people that like like oh my great great grandfather was Greek and they're like you're yep. in <laughs> like yep. it was like this crazy thing. Um, so again, that might not be helpful in your endeavor, but it <laughs> sounds like it's 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 a hurdle that could be certainly crossed if yeah. you were born there. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and it's a, a goal and a dream, and certainly something that I will strive for and not give up on. So. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I'm so excited for you, man. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I, I love it. it. Obviously, um, if you run another trail race, you know, try to stay on the course. You know, <laughs> yeah. So that's, the goal. that's always the goal. That was, oh my god! When you told me that story, I was dying. Okay, so before we get into the last few questions that I like to do in every episode, first of all, I just want to say thank you for coming on. This was great. Uh, I've always enjoyed our conversation. So uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It, I, Thank you for having me. I, I've loved this, and uh, it's always good to talk to people who have a passion for the same thing. I feel the same way. All right. So, when you're out running, are you going headphones or no headphones? No headphones. Okay. All right. So I, only what wear, inv- I only wear oh. headphones on the treadmill, which is rare. Only if there's ice or or really bad weather, I'll get on the treadmill. Or if it's really really cold, and I'll wear a beanie where I could keep my headphones in my ears. And, and that will entertain me for a, a bitter cold run. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, all right. So what advice do you give runners that you have trouble following? Oh boy. Um, probably two things, nutrition, proper nutrition. I do struggle with that. I think everyone has their vices, but what's yours? What's your vice? Oh God. Um, ice cream and whoopie pies. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and I'll be honest, everyone will hear I had a whoopie pie before Chicago. So and I had a How cup, we... and I had a cupcake before Boston last year. So Oh, so wait, like when you say before, what does that mean? This is like, like on the, the way to the before. starting the, line? No, 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 oh, the okay. night before. Okay. So um I know Sounds like of... you need to keep it up then. Yeah. This is two straight PRs. Yep, exactly. So you gotta keep things loose and fun. So you can't be so uh worried about about things that might go wrong because in the end it's you're given you're going to be given a day that you've trained hard for so 
For sure. For sure. All right. So if you could run only one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Oh, geez. There, can I give you two? So Yeah, let's do it. Um, hands down, for those of you who are in New England, the Manchester Road Race on Thanksgiving Day uh, is my favorite race. It is a parade. It's an arbitrary 4.7-mile road race that brings in the best of the best from all around the world. And it is the most fun road race I, I do every year. Uh, there's live music and bands and cheering, and it's just a huge tradition that I've, I've been part of since I was little. So uh, I would never deviate away from that race. The second one would be Boston. Cliche, but Boston is epic. And uh, being able to experience it twice and hope uh, I can't wait to go back every year. I love it. See that, given my proximity to Manchester, there's really no excuse for me never to having run it. But I actually grew up in a town that had a turkey trot. Yeah, it was like the same route that I was always running. Mm-hmm. So it was like, why would I leave this? This is like yeah. literally my home course. Um, yeah, right, Manchester so- Road Race, I believe, is one of the biggest road races in the country. I'm not sure if it's that given day or ever, but it's it's one of the biggest. So uh, certainly check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and and elites are definitely there. I know it's the past couple of years. Emily Sisson won it what a couple of years in a row. Yeah, she um, beat me by like a couple seconds. <laughs> oh no! But, yeah, no, <laughs> we're we're mutual friends. It's pretty cool. I I helped her at the 20k in 2016. She latched on to me and. I kind of carried her to the finish, which was awesome. Not literally carried, but I, yeah. I she latched on and it was awesome. I was able to help her. Um, yeah, Paul Chalima won the Manchester Road Race last year, so they're bringing in uh, Olympic uh, medalists. So it's it's a pretty cool uh, two days there. Yeah, you just don't get that experience very often, right? Oh, especially yeah. those especially those shorter races. Yeah, where it just must be from a spectator perspective, oh, it yeah. must just be like. Like I, like I, I would love to go to that race, but I'm not sure whether I would prefer running or watching because like oh, seeing people run yeah. at that speed is so rare that yeah. you almost don't want to miss it by like by competing in it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I go to the pasta dinner every year, and uh, you know every year I, I catch up with some of the elites because I I know them from being in the road race circuit in New England. Um, but last year I was able to meet, uh, Bernard Lagat, which was awesome. He signed one of my zoom fly shoes and oh, wow. he, he was the most polite, most interesting person I've, I've talked to. And he remembers your name and it, it was just an incredible experience. Again, kind of meeting the Tom Brady of, of, uh, of running of runners. It was really cool. And, um, met Molly Huddle. I've met Galen Rupp and Alberto Salazar. So it's, it's cool. The running community is so big yet so small and you could still, um, connect to even the, the elite, the elite level. It's really cool. And Bernard Lagat is like the patron saint of, of making sure you recover. Oh yeah. He's like one of yeah. those guys who like, has been preaching it forever. What does he take like six week break every year and yep. doesn't do double runs. He only yep. runs once a day. All right. I might not have that right, but I think I have yeah. it right. Yeah, um, he's doing New York City Marathon this year, and he's a master too. So it will be really cool to to watch him um, perform. Yeah, he just put a master class. He, he put a literal master class on the whole thing because he's he's raced at you know at the highest level from the fifteen hundred to the marathon. Yep. And the yeah. guy and the guy like doesn't kill himself to do it. No, nope. you know he he's he's just you know continues to build year after year and doesn't you know, run himself into the ground. Exactly. You know, it's just really cool to look up to these people and be able to meet them at the same time. It's, it's really cool. For sure. For sure. All right. Other end of the spectrum. What's your bucket list race? Bucket list race. Um, I would like to do London, the London marathon. Uh, and kind of going back to the trail racing, I would love to one day take part in uh, ultra marathon and do the UTMB out in in france in switzerland so that's a hundred mile race so we're going yeah going crazy yeah you're aim, you're aiming high what, yep. what's what's the, what's the word that they started the email with this year at london where everyone got rejected it was like um I don't know. oh shoot i don't like, know 
it was like um i don't know it was like, it was like this funny little word <laughs> that was like um like, i don't think anyone i don't think anyone ever knew the word over here in america but it was like basically like sorry about it you didn't get in <laughs> yeah but uh, i know there's like 441,000 people applied i mean my goodness that is Holy so big God, all right that's a lot all right last one who is your dream running partner my dream running partner hmm you know i would love to run with meb kofleski uh I think his story, his his way of training, and just his inspiration to a lot of a lot of runners is is something that you don't see in a lot of people. And um, I would love to go for a run with him and just pick his brain and and just be able to share uh, again something that I love to do as well with him. For sure. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Thomas. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much, Matt. My pleasure. I'll see you around. Sounds great. Bye. Thank you, Thomas, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it is nice to interview someone on the show that I've actually met in person before I conducted one of these interviews. That doesn't always happen. I'm, I'm lucky enough to interview people from all around the country and even some international folks as well. So interviewing a local guy that I actually met over the summer was pretty fun. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for, to Run for PRs. You need a coach. And if you don't have one, go get one. Runforprs.co. Also, Megaton Coffee. Check them out. If you're active and an early riser like me, you know how important coffee is. And uh, it doesn't get any better than these guys. Megatoncoffee.com. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing the show. I really appreciate that as well. So go out there and kick some butt and happy running.